This podcast is made possible in part by support from Lilly, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Exact Sciences, CGen, and Gilead. Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Our guest is Brian Wojciechowski, MD, who practices medical oncology in Delaware County, Pennsylvania at Riddle, Taylor, and Crozer Hospitals, and also serves as BreastCancer.org's medical advisor. A native of South Philadelphia, he trained at Temple University School of Medicine and Lankenau Medical Center. Dr. Wojciechowski is a sought-after speaker on the topics of medical ethics and the biology of cancer. There are several genomic tests, also called genomic assays, that analyze a sample of a breast cancer tumor to see how active certain genes are. The results of these tests help people and their doctors decide if more treatments after surgery would offer more benefits than risks. Dr. Wojciechowski joins us to explain the six genomic tests currently used for breast cancer. Dr. Woja, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me again, Jamie. So unless you'd like to do it differently, I thought we'd talk about the tests in alphabetical order. So the first one is the breast cancer index test. So what type of breast cancer is it used for and what do the results show? Well, the breast cancer index is just one of these genomic tests. And of course, a genomic test is really testing the genes of the tumor itself. You know, we all have our normal genes, but tumors have genes as well, a lot of which are mutated or otherwise altered. So when you're doing a genomic test, you're looking, you're testing the genes of the tumor itself to predict the behavior of the tumor into the future. And that goes for all these tests that we're going to talk about today. The breast cancer index test is really for endocrine therapy, not for chemotherapy. It is used to determine if a woman should have more than five years of endocrine therapy. And the way I use the test is when five years rolls around, if she says to me, there is no way I will go more than five years, I don't care what you say. Um, and this, the, the typical situation is the woman who knows her stop date. She'll say to me something like, all right, I'm done on July 18th, 2023. Right, Doc? So you know that she's been counting down the days and she has no intention of going beyond five years. <laughs> if that's the case, I don't even do this test because it's probably not going to change anything. But this test can be done in, in anyone with hormone receptor positive breast cancer that is lymph node negative or with just a few lymph nodes, one to three, and no metastatic disease. And um, what it does is, is it predicts the risk of what we call a late recurrence, that is recurrence after five years. And if the risk is high enough, then we recommend continuing the hormonal therapy out to 10 years, you know, unless there's reasons not to do it, like, you know, she's having trouble tolerating the medicine, or she's developed really bad osteoporosis. But this test is for the woman who is willing to go 10 years, but wants to know more, wants to know if 10 years would really 
give her any benefit. Okay. And just to um, put it all in one sentence, this is for early stage hormone receptor positive breast cancer after five years of endocrine therapy. Right. And it's, it's important to know that she can be lymph node positive, one to three lymph nodes, but anything more than that, we generally don't use these kind of tests because we feel that patients with more than three lymph nodes are, are just, we just know they're at high risk for recurrence. So we're going to try to push them more to have chemo or, or endocrine therapy or, or even extra endocrine therapy. So this one is really not indicated if the, um, if the tumor is greater than five centimeters or if there's more than three lymph nodes. Okay. And could this be used for a man with breast cancer? I wasn't sure if men are ever advised to take 10 years of hormonal therapy. There's really not enough men in the studies that develop these tests. I, I believe I have ordered one or two for men when, when the decision was up in the air with the caveat that there's not a lot of data to support that. Can be done. I know that much. Okay. So should we move on? The next one on my list is the endopredict test. Yeah. So the endopredict actually gives you information on the risk of recurrence, both at 10 years and at 15 years, and gives you data on the benefit of chemotherapy and, and extended endocrine therapy as well. Again, this is for a similar patient population. This is not for women with metastatic disease, that is distant metastatic disease. Uh, it's for women with uh, hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, and zero or one to three lymph nodes. Okay. This and one so also gives you some data about the benefit of chemotherapy, not just the benefit of endocrine therapy. And that's one of the other things that differentiates it from the breast cancer index test. Okay, so you would so the breast cancer index test you would do it say five years after the person the woman's had five years of hormonal therapy. Endopredict it sounds like you do after surgery to decide if chemotherapy would be beneficial. Yes, you could do that. You could also do it later if you're trying to predict the benefit of endocrine therapy. It's like you're saying if you're trying to predict chemotherapy benefit, it only really makes sense to do it after surgery because chemo needs to be done right away if it's needed. Okay. So this one could be done right after surgery or it could be done after five years of hormonal therapy. That is correct. Okay. So we'll move on to Mammaprint. So Mammaprint gives you a low or a high risk uh, category. There's, there's two answers, low or high. And it's used to predict the... Uh, to give you prognosis at 10 years. And again, similar requirements, non-metastatic disease, tumor up to five centimeters, up to three lymph nodes, all ages. It's for newly diagnosed breast cancer, stages one, two, or three. So it's not for down the road. And you can actually order it for triple negative and HER2 positive breast cancers as well although we don't usually use it for that purpose because women with triple negative or HER2 positive are almost always a candidate for chemotherapy. And so Mammaprint, done right after surgery, looks at, did you say, 
um, late recurrence? So it's looking at recurrence at 10 years or is it looking at recurrence in five years and 10 years? That's what I can't remember. Well, what they say is five to 10 years. Okay. And it can be done, obviously, as you said, hormone receptor positive or hormone receptor negative disease, which I think sort of sets it apart from some of these other tests that are really aimed at hormone receptor positive disease. A hundred percent. Yeah, that, that it's very unique that way. Memoprint is, is related to a test called Blueprint made by the same company that gives that, that tests more genes and uh, gives you different a different category of cancer so you've uh, you know we we've talked about basal like we've talked about her2 enriched etc which is more or less used for research these days i see okay i didn't put the i didn't put the blueprint on my list because i feel is blueprint used for breast cancer or is it really more mamma print uh blueprint is used for breast cancer but it it, it gives you a different category uh, of looking at the cancer Okay, so it's more, as you said, for the subtype rather than determining if treatments after surgery would be beneficial. That's right. And I think it would mostly be used in a research setting. Okay. So it's not commonly ordered for somebody who's newly diagnosed. Right. It, it tells you if the cancer is luminal A, luminal B, basal-like, HER2-enriched, okay. those sort of categories. Okay. Uh, anything else about mammoprint? that we should talk about. No, I don't think so. Okay. Then um, we have Oncotype, and I'm going to do, there are two Oncotype genomic tests, one for invasive breast cancer and one for DCIS. So I'm going to ask you to start with the one for invasive cancer. Yes. Yeah, so the one for invasive cancer, which is called Oncotype DX, is probably the most commonly used test of all these genomic tests. And it's, it's used after surgery, again, on hormone receptor positive HER2 negative patients with up to three lymph nodes to determine, A, the risk of recurrence, and B, what is the benefit of having adjuvant chemotherapy. Again, this is not used in the metastatic setting, but it, it, it's used to detect, it's used to predict the benefit of chemotherapy. Okay. Okay. And you get, I know there's been, as you said, there's been probably more research on Oncotype because it's been around the longest. So there's a whole range of score. You get a recurrent score and then based on your age and your score, that's how the results are interpreted. If you're over 50 versus under 50, the, uh, the scores are different. Okay. And so, as you said that it, uh, helps predict recurrence and the benefit of chemotherapy after surgery. Exactly. Okay. Then what does the Oncotype DCIS test do? Yeah. So DCIS, as our listeners might know, is basically stage zero breast cancer. So it's non-invasive. You know, it doesn't spread. It doesn't go metastatic. And the idea with DCIS is to prevent a recurrence in the same breast and prevent a future invasive breast cancer, say a stage one, two, or three breast cancer. So Oncotype DCIS is a little different because what it does is it is it it deals with the question of radiation, not the question of hormone therapy. It's supposed to determine 
if there's a subset of patients who will not benefit from radiation for their DCIS. Okay, and that's after surgery as well, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, and how common is that? Like, how like do you often use that for patients with DCIS? Or I, I guess I'm wondering. I really don't know as far as treatment goes. Or you know, do do most people? Is it recommended that most people get radiation? Or now with this test, is it more like, well, let's do the test and decide? Yeah, it is recommended that most people get radiation and hormonal therapy with DCIS. So you can get an oncotype DCIS, but it, it often doesn't change management. And, it, and I really can't say that it's a standard of care right now. I think I will use it when, you know, when I have a patient who is really on the fence about radiation, not sure what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. And this might be a way to tip one way or the other. Okay. And then finally, the sixth test is the Prosigna Breast Cancer Prognostic Gene Signature Assay. And that also, again, treatments after surgery. So what can you tell us about that test? Yeah. So this one is also known as the PAM-50. Uh, used to be called the PAM-50. And again, it's for early stage hormone receptor positive breast cancer. It's, it's trying to help us make treatment decisions based on uh, 10 year risk of distant recurrence. So, you know, that's recurrence outside of the breast to, for example, the bones, the liver, the lungs, that sort of thing. You know, it also is, is trying to help us determine about hormonal therapy and the duration. So, in other words, 10 years versus five years of hormonal therapy. And I think well, now I have not used this test, but I think I would use it the same way I would use breast cancer index on a patient who is motivated to take five more years of treatment, but doesn't want to do it unless she really has to, unless she's sure there's a, a benefit. Okay. And you mentioned uh, distant recurrence. So if I'm understanding correctly, this is really the only test that offers an estimate of the risk of metastatic disease. In other words, that the cancer is going to come back as a metastatic. These other tests do give you metastatic prognosis. The Prosigna, I think that's the only one that doesn't give you local recurrence. Oh, I see. Or I see. one of the ones that, that doesn't give you local recurrence. That's helpful. So we have these six tests, and I know you talked about when you would use them, but from sort of the patient perspective, going to see their oncologist, you know, how do, should they be asking for a test? Like, how do you decide? It seems like some of them do almost the same thing. So how do you decide which one to use? As a doctor, we're going to decide which one to use based on which, which one has the best evidence behind it and which one is appropriate for our patient in their individual circumstances. So we're looking at personalized medicine here. And we also want to have a, a thorough conversation with the patient about, well, if we do this test and they're very expensive, if we're going to spend a few thousand dollars to do this test, is it really going to change our treatment recommendations? So for example, if I'm talking to a patient and she's telling me, Doctors, just no way I'm going to have chemotherapy no matter what. 
then I'm going to suggest that we don't do a, a genomic test. Okay. Because the whole purpose of it is to determine whether or not she should get chemotherapy. Now, if she wanted, if she wanted prognosis, you could certainly order a test just to determine what the prognosis is, even if someone is not getting chemotherapy. But I like to think I'm pretty good at determining prognosis without these tests, uh, especially if we're not going to do chemo, you know, based on the, the hormone receptor status, the HER2 status, the, you know, the, the, the elements of the pathology report. So I, I really try to not do these tests unless it's going to affect my management or my treatment recommendations. And I try to have that discussion with the patient before I order it. Okay. Does it ever happen? Does uh, Do patients ever come to you and say, I read about this test, should I have it? Does that ever happen? Not to me personally, because I work in a system where there's a, a really good multidisciplinary breast cancer uh, group. So the surgeon and the radiation oncologist and the medical oncologist and you know other sort of allied health partners and it, it's just standard to have this discussion. So it usually it usually comes up before the patient asks. I see. And it is important if you're going to have breast, if you have breast cancer, to be at a place like that that has a good, strong, uh, multidisciplinary team. Okay. Thank you for that. And then finally, I have read some studies uh, that talk about how the people in the studies that validated all these genomic tests were not very diverse. They were overwhelmingly white and that the results of some of these tests, um, I've seen Oncotype DX specifically mentioned, that they're not as accurate in women who are not white. And so I guess I'm just wondering about your thoughts on that. Um, do you know, are studies being done to sort of revalidate the tests in more diverse populations? What What's your take? Yeah, I don't know if studies are being done to to revalidate the tests in more diverse populations, although I think they should be done. You know, for, for various reasons, uh, Caucasians are overrepresented in medical research studies and minorities are underrepresented. Um, and that could be for a lot of different reasons, which I won't speculate about right now. But the the other thing is that, yeah, I mean... Generally speaking, African-American women tend to have more aggressive tumor biology. So with, with any of these assays, we might not be getting the whole picture for, uh, for, for minority populations. But really, there's no evidence that minority populations shouldn't have these tests and shouldn't have the same uh, sort of interpretation based on the biology because... The good thing is that, you know, we're doing very personalized medicine. We're, we're testing for a lot of different genes. And what we hope is that, you know, the biology of the tumor is generalizable across races. So I, I would definitely encourage, you know, our, our patients who are non-Caucasian to, you know, get these tests done and, um, you know, follow the results until we get better and more complete data on on different minority subpopulations. Okay. Have you heard about any, say, new tests being developed? I'm just curious that are more 
uh, I don't know if it's aimed at uh, non-white women or non-white people, um, or is that not going on? I don't know everything that's going on out there. <laughs> I'll tell you. Ryan, you don't. Why not? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I will tell you, it's 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 a challenge because, again, as I said before, minorities are, are really very underrepresented in clinical trials for various reasons. So, you know, it, it's hard it's hard to say when we're going to get better data and information. But I think for the I think for the moment, we really ought to encourage our patients who are non-white to not only enroll in clinical trials, but to have these tests done because because I, I think they I think they should be valid because, again, we're looking at biology of the tumor. And this is very personalized. And even, uh, you know, even Caucasians are not a homogeneous group of people. So, you know, I think until we know more, we should just continue to use these for all patients, no matter the race. All right. Well, Dr. Wojciechowski, thank you so much. I appreciate you explaining all this. And uh, thank you again. All right, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the BreastCancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.